I'm so excited to be here. I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we'll jump in. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 19. If you don't, it should be on the screen, and so uh, you can read it along with us, and we'll get there in just a minute. But let's, let's pray together, uh, and then we'll jump in this morning. God, I am, I'm so excited to be here, and I'm excited to be with, um, with Twin City Community Church, God. Um, Lord, I, I just ask that you would just speak to our hearts this morning. God, I pray that your spirit would just be evident and that you would speak to every single person that is here, God. I know uh, that there is so much that has gone on over these last couple of weeks, and there are so many things that pull our attention away from you, even in a time of year that we are supposed to be giving you the greatest attention uh, at, at Christmas time when we focus in on why you came and what you've done and what you are doing now, God. There are so many things that just pull us away. And, and this week, there are just so many things uh, that can we, we can just lose our focus on. And so, God, I ask that your spirit would just overwhelm us this morning. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in a way that maybe you never have before and that you would just speak to us in a powerful way that no, none of us, including myself, God, would leave this place this morning without hearing from you, without realizing that you are real in a new and a deeper way and desiring to walk in you in new life, God. And so we just lift this time up to you. We ask that everything that happens would glorify and honor you and that your spirit would overwhelm us. And so, God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. How many of you guys um, like to watch, like, wild animal shows? Like, wild attack shows or, like, wild animal shows? Um, I've not that much into them, but I've kind of gotten into them. I have three little kids, and for whatever reason, it's like cartoons or wild animal shows. And so, um, so we're watching like Wild Africa and Wild Antarctica and Wild Australia and, and all those different kinds of things. And I love them, and I've, and I've grown to love them more and more because it does give you this kind of uh, visual of places where animals still kind of rule, right? Like in Winston-Salem, humanity kind of rules and, and animals kind of scatter. But in places, some places in like Australia, Africa, um, and, and Antarctica especially, uh, animals rule. Like, people are just kind of, if they're there, they're in the way. And so, um, so I, I love kind of getting a glimpse of that and kind of seeing animals in their natural habitat. It, it's great. But I've also watched too many of the animals attack shows for me to ever desire to be in one of those situations. I have zero desire to go into a plain of Africa and wonder if a lion's about to pounce on me. Like, I, I don't desire that at all. It's not something that is something I will ever do, but I enjoy watching it. Um, so I also enjoy animals because of all of the times that we've watched it and because I have little kids. We absolutely love the zoo. And, and so we go to the zoo or the Greensboro Science Center all the time, and I limit my wild animal intake to the zoo or the science center, okay? Um, how many of you guys like the Ashboro Zoo or the Greensboro Science Center? Uh, you've been before, like, through a crazy story, my family ended up with memberships to both of those places. So this past summer, uh, it was like every Saturday morning. I knew what we were doing. It was either the zoo or the science center, and, and I actually grew to love it because my kids get so excited. I have a four, two, and a one-year-old, and they just absolutely love seeing all of these animals. And our favorite animal, we kind of have a favorite at the zoo and at the science center. At the zoo, Piper the polar bear 
uh, is our favorite. And so as soon as we walk in, it's like we got to go in on the right side so we can go straight to her. My daughter's, my oldest daughter's name is Piper, so she absolutely loves that. They call it the snow bear. And so we, we go over and we love seeing that. At the Science Center, though, has our favorite or has had our favorite animal of all the places that we have ever been, and that's Axel the tiger. Has anybody ever seen Axel the tiger? You guys just don't, do you, have you seen him and you just don't like to participate? It's the Baptist church. Um, so, so Axel the tiger, he is by far and away uh, our favorite uh, over this time that we have been going to the science center or the zoo. But if you keep up with zoo life, like I keep up with zoo life, you know this. I actually got, um, I don't know if any of you guys actually get notifications when like animals pass away at the zoo, but like that's, the, that's our kind of family, right? And so um, Axel the tiger actually sadly passed away last week, and, and this is how into Axel the Tiger we were, okay? Um, as soon as he passed away, my wife gets a notification. She sends me his, like, obituary and says, I'm so sad. It's a text, and I'm like, you know, I don't really know how to respond to this. I'm like, oh, man, that's really sad, and like five seconds later, she calls me, right? The text wasn't enough. She's crying, okay? And so I'm thinking something else has had to have happened. Like, uh, I got the the text, but this has got to be something else. The kids are going nuts, crazy. Something bad's happened in our family. And, and through tears, she's saying, I'm so sad that Axel's gone. Like, what are we going to do? You know, like, it, 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 that's how much we love Axel the tiger. Okay, but here's the thing. The zoo is different than seeing animals, wild animals, as they're intended to actually live. It's way different than seeing them in their natural habitat. The zoo is set up for both parties to be safe. The animal is in uh, some sort of um, cage or some sort of um, gla- behind some sort of glass, and, and we're on the other side of that. So it's set up to be perfectly safe. It, it's as tame as you can possibly get wild animals to be. They don't have to hunt. They don't have to worry about their next meal. Every time they get sick, the doctors are right there to take care of them. And so they have a comfortable life as they possibly can have. And then one day they just peacefully pass away. The article about Axel even specifically said that he just peacefully passed away in his old age. He enjoyed all of his in his last month, all of his favorite foods. That's as easy and comfortable of a life as you can possibly get as a crazy wild animal, right? It's a completely different life than he would have had if he were not in the zoo. And so when my family goes to the Greensboro Science Center, we get to see a tiger, but we're not fully seeing a tiger. You get me? Like there's a difference between that tiger, maybe not in size and beauty and and sheer fright, right? Um, But there's a difference in that tiger and a tiger that I would see in the open. And that kind of got me thinking as we would go and see this tiger almost every single week that it would be really different if I saw him in freedom. And if I saw him in freedom, it would probably make my feeling of going to the zoo a lot different. It would probably almost make seeing him in captivity a little bit boring. Compared to seeing him in his natural habitat, it would be a little bit boring because the zoo is safe, but, but there's absolutely no freedom, 
right? There's comfort, but there isn't flourishing for the tiger. There's security, but there isn't actually fulfillment in what he was created to actually do. It's kind of this glimpse of what a tiger actually is, but we're not getting the full image that he actually would have and be giving us if we saw him in the wild. And that kind of got me thinking, so this train of thought, this is kind of how I word, this train of thought is just constantly happening. That kind of got me going, okay, I wonder how often the church does to people what the zoo does to animals. That, that we kind of create this atmosphere. It, man, it's safe, it's comfortable, it's as peaceful as we can possibly be. We can even separate ourselves from all of the elements. And, and, but we're just getting this little glimpse, and we're actually just experiencing this little part of what God has actually created us to have in Him. We don't experience full community together like He has created us to. We don't experience true victory over things in our life, holiness in our life as, he is, as, as He's given to us the righteousness that he has imparted to us along with forgiveness of our sins, we just kind of start missing out on everything that we were actually intended to have. And maybe it's not intentional. This is something that we've really had to wrestle with at Redemptional Church because it might not even be intentional. We might do all of the right things. We might say all of the right things. You might have your Bible. It might already be to Matthew chapter 19, and you knew exactly where to go. Didn't even have to use the table of contents. You prayed this morning that God would speak to you. You're, you're doing all of these things that you're supposed to do. But even though we know that it's true, maybe we've just turned to other things for purpose. Maybe we're just seeking after other things for meaning. Maybe our, our mission in life has become something other than God's mission, and we're trying to find our place in that mission and not his mission. And it's causing us not to thrive. It's not allowing us to live in true freedom that is offered to us in Christ, but we're captive to kind of our own plans, and, and, and we're just this small glimmer of everything that we could actually have and be and are intended to be in Christ. And, and that's so easy for us to, to just allow. It's so easy for us to fall into. It's especially easy in the American church. Because we can just have this tendency to kind of separate ourselves, create this culture that no one else is around and nobody else is involved in. We alleviate risk. That's our goal. We eliminate dangers. That's one of our goals. We, and we settle for training people just to be tamed morally rather than transformed spiritually. Like, as long as you have been involved in the church, and you're coming for a long time, and you're here every single Sunday, and you're doing all the things, and you're going to be doing all the 21 days of prayer, and you're just going to be marching along, doing everything that you're asked to do, and when people look at you from the outside, you are the perfect follower of Christ, and we're going to put you in situations where you're discipling people, but you're actually not living in Christ as he has created you at all. That's so easily can happen because oftentimes our goal in the church is just for people to look like Christians, not actually be transformed spiritually, not actually to know who Christ is and all that he is doing. And in doing so, we've shackled the effects of truth on our own life and on the life of those that are in our lives. We've put the gospel mission on hold, and it's 
kind of just behind bars oftentimes in our lives, and it doesn't allow for relationship with God for us to flourish and for others to see it flourishing. And listen, it's not dangerous at all to its enemy. And when we compare to maybe what the church, and and I, I mean church big C, maybe when we compare to what the church is created to be that we see in Scripture and that God is calling us to, it kind of looks boring. Like, it kind of just looks uninteresting to me. And church becomes something where I go to worship God because it's Sunday, not because I love Jesus. Not because I desire to be involved with those who love him too. Not because we come together and worship and give him glory. But this is just what we do as followers of Christ. I am tamed morally. And so I just show up on Sunday and worship, but I don't actually have any spiritual movement. There's spiritual chains on me. There's not freedom in me. I'm not doing all the things that I was actually t- intended to have in Christ. And so we find it difficult to be excited about what God is doing in us. We find it difficult to, to look at 2018 and go, what is all is Christ going to do in and through me? And, and the rest of the world kind of looks at that, and they find it impossible to get excited about it. They find it impossible to even care. Listen, the gospel The fact that we were separated from God in our brokenness and sinfulness and that that he broke into our brokenness and that he lived perfectly on our behalf and that he took what we were, all of our hopelessness, and he took it upon himself and died for our sin on the cross and that he rose to overcome our sin and death so that we not only be forgiven, but that we might be imparted his righteousness and that he sits at the right hand of the Father forever interceding on our behalf, that it's not about what we've done, it's not about what we'll do, but it's all about his work on our behalf and it's completely grace to us that we might be taken out of our brokenness and out of our bondage and out of our captivity and out of our enslavement and be set free to live as we were intended to live. Listen, that ought to be exciting. It should make not having that look a lot more boring than I feel like it does a lot of times in my life. It should be setting me free to live as I was intended to live, but oftentimes I'm just finding my purpose in other things. But the gospel leads us to freedom. It's something that's worth living for, but it's also something that's worth dying for. It's actually death-defying. It's fulfilling. It's dangerous to the enemy. It sets the captive free. It uplifts the oppressed. It brings sight to the blind. It allows those who couldn't hear truth to hear truth. It's honestly, it's church's miracle. When that's how we come together and we're living in the freedom of the gospel truth, then we would begin to see church as miracle, things happening throughout the week that we're coming together and just worshiping God for and giving praise to him for, for everything he's doing while we are on his mission. It would be completely life-changing, completely exciting. You would not be able to contain our excitement about worshiping our creator who saved us. Church's miracle. And so here's the big thing, and I want us to see this in this text this morning, that Jesus didn't come to tame you. He came to set you free. 
And I think oftentimes, especially in our culture, we get that a little bit backwards. It's like, I'm free to do everything that I want to do. I'm free to make all my decisions, follow my heart, live the way I desire to live. That is freedom, to be able to wake up and just say, I'm doing whatever I want to do today. But in actuality, that is putting us in enslavement. And Christ has come to set us free because he has created us to live a certain way. And he frees us to actually live in that community with him. And so that's what we have in Christ. That's what we want to see this morning. And, and I hope that every single one of us desires that. I know it's 20 degrees outside and it's 9 a.m. in the morning, but I hope that you're awake enough to say, like, man, that's exciting news. Like, the gospel is great. And if you are a follower of Christ, then you should know that. If you're not, then maybe you're sitting in here this morning going, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm doing everything I want to do and I'm making all my own decisions and I'm moving in a direction that I desire. But everything that I accomplish, it never seems to actually give me and fulfill me in the way that I thought it would once I get it. And so I'm just constantly chasing and pursuing. And so maybe it's just exciting to you this morning that freedom is actually offered and it isn't up to what you do or achieve, but what Christ has done on your behalf. So look, look with me because I want us to see what actually keeps us from having that. I, w- I want us to go into this year being able to understand that there's freedom in Christ. We don't have to be captive to all the things of this world, but there are some things that hinder us from that every single day. And Jesus points out how we can overcome that and how we can have that. And so Matthew chapter 19, look in verse 16 with me. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go and sell all that you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Verse 23, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man is it impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Matthew 19, 16 through 26. And, and so here's this guy, and here's, here's what I want us to start seeing on, on paper, like this rich young ruler, like he is the best of society. He has everything, right? He's young. And, and, and this time, that would also kind of be attributed to good-looking, right? And so just youth, and he's rich, and he's powerful. And, and so for our purposes, if it just straight up said that he was really good-looking, like he would be the total package, right? But it does say he's young, he's rich, and he's powerful. And, and so as far as our culture is concerned, this guy is the top of society. He's what we're chasing after. He's what we desire. He's what we kind of wake up pursuing 
every single morning. He's a good guy. He has everything that we would desire in society. But not only that, notice that it says he feels like he has a good past and he's proud of it. He feels like he's kind of done everything he should be doing to be a good guy. And so he's looked and judged the rest of humanity around him and he's come up with the opinion that I'm pretty good. Like I measure up pretty well. And I wonder, I wonder this morning if you're proud of the past that you have. I guarantee you that some of us in this room are proud of the past that we have. We've, we've thought about it, and, and we think, man, I've done pretty well. I, I've never seen those types of things. I've never done those types of things. I grew up in this type of household. I was homeschooled my entire life, right? And so I, I've just never been uh, kind of in the elements. And so I feel like I've done pretty well, and I'm pretty proud of the past that I've lived. If I had to kind of measure it all up, I would say that I'm a pretty good person. Right? And then just allow yourself for a second to investigate your heart and ask yourself, if I'm really honest with myself and I'm proud of the past that I have, then how does that make me feel about other people around me? Because I guarantee you, if you're honest with yourself and you just investigate your own heart, if you're proud of your past, then you have gotten so because you're looking around and going, I'm doing a lot better than other people. I'm doing a lot better than those around me. Comparatively speaking, I am doing very well. But then how many of you in the room wish that you had that kind of past? Like, I wish that I was proud because some of us are thinking about our past and going, man, it brings on a lot of guilt. It brings on a lot of shame. And maybe when you get into a church setting where you feel like, it's not true, but you feel like everybody around you has that other type of past, then you're going, man, I don't feel comfortable here. I feel a little bit judged, even though everybody's been super nice to me. And so depending on the past that we bring into the situation, it determines a lot on the way that we view other people around us. This guy's very proud of it. But in our culture, we get really hung up on youth. We get really hung up on riches. We get really hung up on power, past reputation, right? And listen, I'm right there. Like, I've spent my entire life feeling like one of those people who had a really good past, and I deserve a whole lot of things. And so I would look at other people getting things that I desired, and I would go, God, what's the deal over there? Like, I've been doing all of this. I know that person. I used to have a best friend growing up. It drove me absolutely insane because I'm just living in the right lane in my head, and he's over here just doing whatever he wants to do, and then every now and then, he'll, he'll just throw up a prayer to God, and it seemed like every single thing got answered, and I'm standing over here going, God, what in the world? So I'm right there with you. I, I kind of do the same thing, and, and, and I'll just be completely honest with you this morning because that's the way that I just want to be, and hopefully you'll allow me to do that. I, I have, because of that, grown up much of my life kind of believing that, that my favor with God and my blessing with God and my right standing with God had a whole lot to do with what I've done. And what that began to cause me to do, and I don't know if you've ever felt this or not, but in ministry, I've been in ministry for the last seven years, and a whole lot of my time is pulled in a whole lot of different directions. And I started thinking, um, 
people based on their past reputation are, are either worth time or not worth time. Because, because I would look at people, and can I just be really honest? You're going to judge me, and that's okay. I, I'll just, I would look at people and think, that person's too far gone. So, so I'm going to spend time over here. And, and let me just tell you that God has radically just opened my eyes to that reality that that was one of the greatest sins of my life. And as soon as I moved up here to Winston-Salem, he put a guy in my life who, who worked at Starbucks and was struggling with all sorts of things. The first time I saw him, he had a tattoo of a semicolon, and I knew what that meant, so I started asking him some questions, and, and suddenly it gets into this fact that this guy's ready to just take his life. He's struggling with all sorts of addictions, and I remember talking to him for an extended amount of time, going back over to one of my friends and going, man, I'm going to keep that conversation going, but, but man, he is like, he's He's just off the beaten path. And that conversation continued. And, and let me tell you guys something. I'll make a long story short. This guy recently, several months ago, came to Christ. God radically saved him. He was baptized. He's been a member now of our church. And then let me tell you something else that happened because of that. He, he is riding his little moped, sees someone sitting on the side of the road with a flat tire, and he's like, man, I love Jesus, so I should love this person. He pulls over behind her, starts talking to her. Lo and behold, she struggles with addiction, and her husband struggles with addiction. They're, they're, they don't believe in Christ at all. They're uh, kind of self-proclaimed atheists. But we help them get a tire. He's knocking on my door at 11 p.m. at night going, we got to get a tire for this girl because she doesn't know Jesus. And I know Jesus and I want her to know Jesus. He's just super pumped. And I'm like, man, you're putting me to shame right now. But let's go to Walmart and get this girl a tire. And so we do that. She shows up at small group. Her and her husband are sitting in their car for 15 minutes outside of my house. I'm like, what are they doing out there? He tells me afterwards that they were getting high so that they would have the courage to come in. They're totally out of it. The first five or six small groups they go to, he asked me, hey, is it okay if we keep coming? Because we need community like this, but I don't believe anything that you believe. Is it okay if I don't ever believe this, but I keep coming? I'm like, yeah. Let me, let me tell you guys something. About a month ago, both of them came to Christ. And, and listen, now, they've both been three months sober. They want to renew their wedding vows. They're getting baptized at our church next Sunday morning. Can, can I just tell you guys that, that, listen, none of us are good enough to be saved. None of us. Not myself, not you. But none of us are too far gone to be saved. Like, Christ is good. And if I can just tell you this morning, you're loved. You're loved. He loves you. And so that, that was just a free little story. I'm going to get back to what we're talking about now. But, but I, I just felt like I needed to tell you that because I feel like we get so trapped up in that type of reality that we're just like, man, I, I'm good or I'm not good based on how I'm doing compared to those around me. And that just doesn't work. It doesn't. You might, like, listen, I, I think my, two, my, my one-year-old, he's almost two, I think he's pretty strong and pretty smart. And when I compare him to my older two, then yeah, he's, he's a lot stronger than they were at one. And he's, he might even be a lot smarter than they were at one. But as soon as daddy walks into the room, that kid is not smart and he's not strong. 
He just isn't. When you compare him to someone like me, then those things just go by the wayside. But when you compare him to other one-year-olds, maybe, maybe he's good. Maybe he's strong. Maybe he's smart. That's us and God, guys. Like when we compare ourselves to other one-year-olds, can I just say that? Like we might be pretty strong and pretty good. But when God steps into the room, none of us are good. None of us are strong. None of us are smart. All of us need his grace. All of us need his grace. So look at this. I love this. Even though this man has everything that we would want in society, there's something missing and he knows it. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Like, I feel like I'm just achieving everything that I've ever needed to achieve. Everything I set after, I'm achieving it. But man, there's just something always missing. There's something always elusive. This guy's already got it all. He's safe, but he's not flourishing. He's being held captive to something, and he knows it, and he wants out. And so he asks this question that, honestly, quite honestly, we might actually ask him. He asked Jesus, what should I do? I think I would be looking at this guy and going, you're young, rich, and powerful. What should I do to be like you? Right? And that's typically the way we might think in our society. But he's looking at a homeless guy who has nothing and saying, hey, I think that you might have everything that I'm missing. So he's asking Jesus this, and Jesus knows that he's asking the wrong thing. Because listen to me, no matter what Jesus answers, if he answers the way that the rich young ruler wants him to answer, then he's not going to be happy. He's either going to say, you're not, you don't have to do anything different because you're already doing everything. And the guy's going to walk away just as empty as he was before. Just as captive, just as enslaved. Or Jesus might say, just go and do this thing and add this onto whatever you've been doing or this one or two things. These are what you must do to be safe. And this guy's going to walk away just wondering, man, am I ever going to be good enough? I'm already everything society wants. I'm already a rich young ruler. And, and now I've got to add these things. When is enough enough? What do I have to do? And so Jesus isn't going to give this guy the answer that he wants, but he's going to give the guy the answer that he needs, and it's going to end up being the answer that we should be desiring. See, this guy asks a religious question, but Jesus is going to give him a gospel answer. Big difference. Big difference. He thinks salvation and satisfaction comes from something that I do or don't do, and he sees life, like all of us kind of do, as this two-way street. If I do this, then I deserve this. If I don't do that, then I don't deserve that. That's kind of how all of us live. It's how we live in schools, how we live in our workplaces. That's just what we do, and so he's working under that kind of foundation, and he says, what must I do? He's thinking, just tell me what I've got to do to be everything that I'm supposed to be. And let me just say that change from the outside in is not a biblical theology. It never has been. It never will be. It's actually, it's heretical. It's caging. It's not the way to salvation. And Jesus just lays it out and he says, "Uh, why are you talking to me about being good? There's only one who's good. And you don't compare to him. But then he says, if you want salvation, freedom, life, if you feel trapped in in a cycle, if you want salvation, then what does he say? Obey my commands. And, And like, I don't know if you read the Bible like I do, but I read that and then I'm just like, wait a minute. 
Like you just said nobody's good but you, and then you're saying the way of salvation is to obey the law. How does that work? Like, where does that leave me? And and I think most of us understand that. Like, most of us get, I'm not perfect. Like, most of us understand, I need some changing to happen in my life. You don't really have to think that much further than just looking in the mirror this morning and, and kind of wondering all the things that you had to change to get ready to come to church this morning. Like, I got crazy things I want to change. I'm going, this 2018, I'm going on the first diet of my life. Like, I know I need some changing, right? Like, I get that. And so I think all of us kind of understand that we are not perfect. We desire to have pure hearts, but we don't have pure hearts. We often don't even have a pure heart towards ourselves, let alone other people. We desire for our words to be life-giving, but they're not often life-giving. They're often life-taking. They often hurt other people. We desire to be peaceful, but we get angry with people unjustly. We just emotionally respond to things. And so all through our lives, listen, we're doing all of these things we know to be wrong, and we're not doing them out of ignorance. It's just that in the moment when we follow our heart, we don't care what's right. None of us are perfect, and we're never going to live up to a perfect standard based on our imperfect deeds. Like, how crazy is it to think that I'm just going to live such a life that one day when I stand before God, I'm going to hold all these things up that I've done that are completely imperfect and think that a perfect standard is going to be accepted. Like, that just doesn't make sense. So all of us kind of understand that. We're born into a sinful nature. Like, my kids, man, they came out of the womb sinners. Like, they're selfish, they lie, they steal, they cheat. Like, I'm spending a whole lot of time trying to train them not to do those things. My wife, Rachel, and I, we're not displaying all of that, and they're not learning those things from us. We're trying to teach them not to. They just came out doing those things. And then it just continues. Like, I've come to this really hard um, understanding that my two-year-old's heart and my heart are exactly the same. Like, I've just learned some behavior modification to where I know how to perform in society to where I look like a good guy. But I'm not. Like, she will just cry when you take something from her. Like, somebody takes something from me that I want. I'm doing that on the inside. She'll get mad and punch her little sister. Like, I'm doing that on the inside. Like, I'm coming to some harsh realities between me and my two-year-old's heart. And God's revealing to me that, man, your heart is no different than hers. You've just learned how to look good. And and that's caging. It's not freeing. It's not what I was intended to be. But I think that's how we function. But all of us understand that we are born into sin and that we are not perfect now. And so when we come to God's law and we start asking, what must I do? And we think to ourselves, well, I'll just try to do this. I'll just try harder to do better, then then listen, our heart's going to get in the way. We're not purely going to do what is right, and it's not ever going to be satisfying. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. So what do I do is never going to produce in us purity. It's never going to produce in us hope that we desire or satisfaction that we were created to have in Christ. So listen, God's law, our do's and don'ts, show us that we actually desire to do something because we were created to do it, uh, but it doesn't actually answer the question of how does it actually happen? So when Jesus says you want to be saved, then obey my commandments, then we've got a big gap. 
because we know we're not going to do that perfectly. And so everything you do, listen, whether it is perfect in your own mind, good, or it's sinful in your own mind, bad, you're going to come up with the same question for God. Like, I've done everything you want me to do, God, but you're not doing everything that I feel like you should be doing. So what must I do to be saved? Like, what must I do for satisfaction? What must I do for hope? And then if you don't do any of those things, then you're going to go, what must I do to be saved? Because I'm guilty. I'm full of shame. Like, I don't understand why I can't live the way that I feel like I should live. So whether you are good or whether you feel like you are bad, you will fall short. And you'll be the one standing before Christ asking this question, what must I do to be saved? Finding ourselves in captivity to everything that we have tried and everything that we have sought after. And so listen, this guy walks up to Jesus and he's saying, I'm doing all of these things, but it's not working. What else do I do? And Jesus points out that he hasn't kept any of the law. Right? I love that. He's like, I've kept all of those things, Jesus. And then Jesus goes, actually, I don't think you've done any of it. And, and, and if you're familiar with Matthew chapter 22, where the Pharisee, uh, the lawyer, comes up to Jesus and, and asks him what is the most important law, then Jesus actually says, Matthew 22, that the most important law is wrapped up into two things, that you love God and then you what? You love your neighbor as yourself. That when you love God, it is displayed in you that you are no longer selflessly living and chasing after things to satisfy, but you're fully satisfied in Christ. You have everything that you were ever created to have and everything that you ever need to have, everything that you were uh, created to have for satisfaction and fulfillment and for joy. And so when you find that in Christ, it frees you to live as though I don't have to hoard everything. I don't have to use people to get an identity. I don't have to use things and achieve things to get identity. I have my full identity, and therefore I can be a giver of things and I can be a lover of people. That's what he points out. And so when Jesus says, I don't think you've done any of those things, did you Notice the last thing that I said, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and this guy immediately understands that, man, like, my identity is wrapped up in my youth, my power, and my things. That's where my identity is. That's what I'm seeking satisfaction in. That's where I believe my salvation is. And, and so when Jesus says, if you actually, that's what he's really saying. Like, if you actually love me and find identity in me, and you have found in me everything that you were created to have, and you're satisfied in that, then, then all of the things that you bring to the table don't matter. I am all that matters. And so when Jesus says, give to the poor all that you have and follow me, all this guy thinks is, that can't be right. My satisfaction's wrapped up in all of that. My identity's wrapped up in all of that. So I can't possibly give it away. And Jesus says, I want you to lay at my feet with open hands everything that you find identity and satisfaction, everything that is keeping you captive, and I want you to find your identity and satisfaction and fullness in me. And this guy goes, verse 22, I can't be right. I'm going to walk away because I am captive. I'm enslaved. I'm oppressed. I'm blinded to truth by fleeting and unfulfilling things. 
thinking, I, I can't receive satisfaction in anything or salvation in anything other than just gaining more of these things. I'm just going to walk away and I'll try harder to do better. Listen, he wanted to determine his own salvation. And let me wrap up this morning by saying this. Every single one of us has our own God. There's something we're placing faith in for salvation. There's something we're chasing after for satisfaction and purpose and meaning. And every single one of us is worshiping it, hoping that it will fulfill everything that we feel like it's promised to us, and we will pour ourselves into it. But listen to me. If you determine what that is, it will every time disappoint you, and you will walk away going, I'm just as confused as I was before. But if you would humble yourself and receive the true God, then you might not get the answer that you wanted or thought you wanted, but you'll get the answer that you needed, and you will receive the salvation that is available to you by grace. And you will be able to live a free life of a life that you were created to have and and everything that you were created to have in him. But, but look what he says last. I love this. The, the young ruler walks away. He totally doesn't get it. He thinks, man, all of my satisfaction is in all of these things. I can't do that. And then even the disciples are like, huh? Like, like Jesus, I can't believe those words just came out of your mouth. Like, who then can be saved? And look what Jesus says, verse 26. With man, it's impossible. L- listen to me. If you get one thing this morning, understand, I know you want satisfaction. I know you have hopes and dreams. I know you desire purpose. I know you desire to be a part of something bigger than yourself because you were created for it. And every time you have a longing and every time you have a desire for more, that is your soul crying out for Christ. And listen, it is impossible for you to receive salvation in and of yourself. Jesus says right here, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Why? That's actually why he came. That's why we celebrated it last week, because in him, we can have freedom from self. It's not about what I do or what I don't do, but it's about what he's done on our behalf. And our hearts go from obedience to become something and judging other people to obedience because we are. We're not being morally tamed, but we're being wholly set free to live in the way that we were created to live. And so let me ask you this this morning. Just investigate your own heart. What law are you seeking for salvation? What are you chasing after for satisfaction? What, what purpose do you think in your life? If I can just fulfill this, then all meaning will be known to me and, and I'll be completely satisfied and I can leave this earth feeling like I've done everything that I was created to do. What are you using? And listen to me, if Christ is not the thing that you're finding satisfaction in, then you are being enslaved by whatever it is, and you are not living out the life that you were intended to live. You're not experiencing the freedom that you were created to have. This man comes to Jesus, like we go to kind of the self-help section at Barnes & Noble, and and he wasn't coming for Jesus, he was coming for himself. And he's saying, I don't want to give up control here, I I just want to know what I have to do to be good. And Jesus says, only God is good, and only I can save you. Don't walk away being held captive this morning. 
Don't, don't go into 2018 being held captive this morning, but, but allow yourself to be set free and to flourish and allow that to happen in community together and allow your community outside of here to see you in the intended habitat that you were created to be in with Christ, that it might be exhilarating to watch Christians live the way that they were created to live and that you might feel the thrill of all that you were created to have in Christ. Let that be our goal this year. God, we love you. And God, I just ask that you would just allow us to understand, God, that, that none of us bring anything to the table when it comes to our salvation, but you have done everything that is required and God, you invite us by your grace, by your wonderful grace to receive you and to place our faith in you and to find you as God and to live and glorify you and that in glorifying you, we would find the fullness of joy. And so God, this morning, I just ask that no one would leave this place without knowing you as their Lord and Savior and seeking after you and, and living in the freedom that you have created us to have in you and you alone. God, might that be our defining identity in 2018. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.